0: Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message.
1: We are excited to have you guys here with us today to have a very important conversation around pressure points, and pressure points is us looking through the lens of Scripture to figure out how do we deal with stress how do we deal with anxiety how do we deal with depression all of these things are realities for christians not just non-christians and that's what we're going to talk about today what it is and how we can process our way through it so we're going to go one by one and you let the people know who you are and what it is that you specialize in we'll start with khadijah
2: Hi everybody. I'm Khadijah. Um I am. I specialize in life transitions, grief, loss, anxiety, depression. A little higher. A a good gambit of things. So, life transitions, grief, loss, um, stress, anxiety, trauma um, is my wheelhouse. My um, my babies, if you will.
0: Hi everyone, my name is Alexis and uh, my specialty is with anxiety and depression, um, ADD and ADHD, I do couples counseling as well, but my babies are my babies. I work with little kiddos, so it's my specialty. Hi
3: everybody, Um, I'm Teresa and I'm trained in anxiety, depression and borderline personality disorder. Um, I also um, specialize in chronic health conditions And I am also trained in trauma EMDR. So
1: our people are qualified, y'all. I think it's important that you all see them, know that they are part of our team, our dream team here. They serve in various capacities, but this is what they do uh, by trade. And they are are certified and qualified. So y'all don't have to sit here and go through this by yourself when we have people that you can reach out to, that you can set up time with so that you can get the healing that you need. David said this in Psalm 42 and 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. So there were people in the Bible who were discouraged. So you don't have to pretend as though you'll never be a candidate for it. It's going to come to each and every one of us, and we're not to ignore it. We're not to act like it's not a reality. David said, I'll praise him again. He had lost his praise. He admitted it, though, and he did something about it. He said, I will praise him again, my Savior, my God. The prophet Isaiah said this in, uh, in Isaiah 26 and 3, you will keep in perfect peace, all who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Are you grateful that God has declared that he will keep you in perfect peace? Raise your hand if you, if you feel good about his promises still being able to be used today. Amen. Good, good. Now, some of you may be saying, that's right. I mean, so why do we need to talk to them? I could just talk to God. Because David said, I'll praise him again. He talked to God. And Isaiah said, uh, uh, you, when he's talking, to, talking about God, will keep me in perfect peace. Well, well, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. There it is again. God is the source of all comfort. I can just pray this away. Well, here's the rest, though. It says he comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. So the the clue there is that God can heal you directly, but God also uses other people on this earth to help bring you comfort as well. It can be one, it can be the other, it can be both and, and you need to have an open heart receptive to any way that the Lord wants to heal you. You should sign up for that. You should be, okay with that. So the first thing we want to address, we'll start with you, Latresa. Help us kind of set the table for this conversation. How would you define stress, anxiety, and depression when it comes to mental health? Because sometimes those words are thrown out. Sometimes they seem interchangeable. And sometimes we're not able to identify which is which.
3: Uh, we'll start with stress because people say, oh, I'm stressed out and they may be anxious. So I'll say stress is temporary. It's like a heightened response to a situation, right? And most of us prolong our stress unnecessarily. And then it kind of turns into anxiety. Um, <laughs> so anxiety in and of itself is like this intense kind of like apprehensiveness about usually future, right? Like something that's impending because the anxiety response, right, is a feeling, right, that we have. Um, I use it both ways as a feeling and an emotion in mental health because one is temporary and one is prolonged, yeah. right? Anxiety is essentially a fear factor, right? It hasn't changed, right, since we've evolved, right? We're no longer like living outdoors, having to be on guard, on alert all the time. It hasn't changed, but we have, society has. We're no longer like needing to like hear a sound and get up with our fear, right? But that's how people respond. You respond the same way. It's just like in, an immediate response to fear. And depression is prolonged sadness. I usually like to describe it, especially in the Brown community as low mood, right? Because depression, when you say it, can sound very offensive, right? And depression doesn't look the same. So it's a prolonged sadness. It usually disengages you from your life. You become blunted. So most of my highly like successful like client who are like i'm not depressed right and i'm like okay well let's talk about what that looks like they're functioning but they're blunted they're just autopilot they're not responding appropriately so that will be the difference between the three
1: awesome now David's going to put the qr code on the screen one more time and you all can actively ask questions in real time if this is something that you have questions about something that you're currently dealing with this is a chance for you to ask questions anonymously and our, our counselors will be able to give answers in real time so that you don't have to leave out of here carrying the same weight that you may have brought in here. This is an opportunity for you to actively participate in your healing. Say actively participate in your healing. So question number two we will come to you, Khadijah. What are some common causes or triggers of stress, anxiety, and depression that people may experience? Because some people, sometimes we can have a certain dysfunctional behavior for so long that it seems normal, and we don't even realize the battle that we're facing or the battle that we're in. So,
2: each person has um, multiple triggers or multiple things that causes for stress, anxiety, and depression. Um, it can range from um, multiple complications or unexpected events um, throughout the day. Um, it can be an interaction that you have with a person. It can be in terms of stress and anxiety. Um, it can be, a com- um, you have so much going on in the day. Like um, for mothers, it's like, Okay, I got kids, and I got husband and I got this, and I got that, so on and so forth, and it's like, okay, and it's the weight of um of what's happening um when it comes up to depression, it can be the same with multiple things it can be someone smells something and it triggers the um the the memory of a lost person and it can be death or just a loss of a relationship, um, no matter the type of relationship platonic or romantic relationship. Um, so it can range and vary when it comes up to depression. And, and again, like, like you said, it can be pro- like a, a deep, as soon as you smell, as soon as you think about it, as soon as you remember, um, it sends you into that space or it keeps you when it comes up to depression, it keeps you in that space. Um, and so, um, Personally, for me, it can be something as simple as being up on the stage. And so it's just like anxiety and stress, like, oh, God, like, you know, so it varies with person, um, but it can be those different things. And it can, it can feel multiple ways um, for a person. It can be I'm shaky or it can be my heart is palpitating or it can be um, I can't think properly. I'm, I'm overthinking. So a range in that regard, um, when it comes up to being triggered.
1: Alexis. So a lot of people during the poll question said that, um, that they feel stress, anxiety, and depression kind of conflicts with their faith. Like, is it a result of not having enough faith, not having enough belief in what God can do? If somebody is conflicted with the thought that they may be facing this and that it's a result of them not having enough faith, what would your advice be to them?
0: Be a great question. Um, my advice would be to think about lamenting, right? Um, even Jesus had moments in the Bible where he cried. And so these feelings that we have are they come from him. And so to say that they are separate from him, right? Um, to say that feeling it means that we are not in tune with him or we don't have a connection um, goes against that in itself. And so I think it's important to remember that these feelings that we have are not separate from from Jesus. It's not, it's not separate from him. And I think that in itself and just resting and knowing that he was here he came here to experience this walk with us and so he understands those feelings it's not he is trying to be he was trying to be one with us and that is what he fulfilled and so if he fulfilled that he walked it with us and he understands that
1: awesome now uh latrice when you were giving us definitions so that we can differentiate between the three you called depression uh like a prolonged sadness so someone asked a question how do we overcome prolonged sadness?
3: Um, in the simplest way possible when someone says, how do you treat depression when you have someone come into your office? And this is a peer of mine was like, I'm just, essentially, they felt like, I'm getting exhausted treating people with depression because they just come back depressed all the time. Like, I don't see that they're getting better. And personally, I think it's more about how you're treating depression, which is why I subscribe to, modalities because they need to help. That's a big word. Yeah, so treat how I treat the how I treat people, right? So I use acceptance and commitment therapy. It is like when I say it very much aligns with my face and it's very broad, right? So I can treat people who are not Christians, right? And with, this is why I use it. And it works for both anxiety and depression. The reason being is depression you have to do the opposite. Everything that goes against your nervous system when you're essentially like they call it like amygdala hijack, you get the same response if you're having a trauma response or if you're having like prolonged depression type symptoms, your brain gets used. It's like um like an exercise, right? When I do it long enough, it doesn't hurt as bad. Same thing with sadness. If we continue to rotate the same thoughts, if we continue to focus, right, and attend to the same things all the time, we're gonna get the same response. So the easiest way that I treat depression is committed action. Do the opposite of what everything in your body, your mind is telling you not to do. So for my clients who say, I'm a little bit different, um, I invade people's lives because I feel like if you're gonna let me in, let me all the way in because that way I can help you. If you only let me a little bit in, don't expect to get better. And so I encourage my clients like, hey, you don't wanna get up, like some of them are pretty severe. I don't wanna shower. I haven't showered in four days. I haven't brushed my teeth. I haven't left the house. Um, and so I'm the kind of therapist like, okay, let me just get in your business. You need to take a picture. You need to let me know when you showered. You need to send me a video that you're brushing your teeth. And it sounds weird, but when you don't have anyone to be accountable to you when you're so low, you're not gonna do it. Cause people don't understand if you're not, if you've never experienced depression, you don't know what low means when it's dark and there's no hope. You have no energy. Fatigue is, is there. Low, mo- low motivation is there. You're losing hope. You're no longer even attached to your spiritual side. You're just drowning in darkness. So when I say, hey, send me that video. Let me know you showered today. It sounds invasive, but that's how I work. And that's how they get better. And I say, hey, you're going for a walk. This time every day. So I check my phone. I'm like, hey, I didn't get a picture from you. And they can lie. So I have plans for that too. I say, hey, I know where you live. (laughs) So I'll check the map quest and I'll say, hey, it's the so-and-so place right here. I know you got to travel to get there. So one, I know you left the house. Two, even if it's raining, take a raincoat. You go, you take a picture by the sign. I've gotten explicit words back. I've gotten like, why would you make me do this? I said, just keep walking. You got to go there. And if you keep walking that way, take another picture by this place because people with depression would be like, yeah, yeah, I did it. Just whatever, right? Because they're so low. They're like, I don't have it. So if you have someone to be accountable to you, say like, this is embarrassing. I have to tell you when I showered, I brushed my teeth, I went for a walk. Yes. So in a simple way, do the opposite of what your depression is pulling you to do, and you'll get through it. Depression is not your friend. And so you shouldn't trust it. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust um, your urges. Don't don't trust any of it when you're in a depressed state. Don't make decisions. Don't trust depression. You do the opposite of what it's pulling you to do.
1: All my note takers write down, depression is not your friend. Don't listen to it. Alexis, is or can depression be genetic?
0: Yes. Um, but I think it's important to remember that um, in, even in that, there is, you know, ways to treat it. Um, and so that's why it's important, as, you know, Latresa was saying, to, like, when the doctors give you that that full questionnaire, right, to be honest and to be open, to have those conversations with family, um, to have those you know, interesting conversations, those deep conversations, because we have to know what our background is, where we're coming from, where our history is, um, so that we can progress forward. So yeah.
1: Khadija, how do we deal with the the way that we, a lot of people have been raised, whether male or female, we're, we're probably taught to be strong and we equate strong to not feeling. And so if we're feeling stress, anxiety or, or depression, we may think that that's the opposite of being strong which is what everybody told us to be. How can we admit we're dealing with something? How can we allow ourselves to get the help that we need when all we've been told is to be strong?
2: I take a deep breath because it's frustrating for, um, for us to have learned that. Um, your strength is in your, your vulnerability. Um, that is a curse word when it comes up to um, certain cultures. It is difficult for people to hear, be vulnerable, be transparent, be honest, Um, because I was told what happens here stays here. What's going on? Nobody. I
1: don't want nobody in my business. I don't
2: want nobody in my business. And your business needs to be shared. Um, You not allowing people in causes for there to be prolonged stress, prolonged um, anxiety, prolonged depression, as opposed to when you allow for there to be an openness It allows for people to support you in the way that you specifically need. Um, more times than not, people don't understand your vulnerability is your strength more than you being strong and being silent. Silence will kill you. And it's, it's I hate to be frank, but it, it will kill you if you're not careful when it comes up to what you're silent about. Be open, that's your strength as opposed to being strong. Um, strong is your enemy. Strength in that regard, in terms of being silent, is your enemy.
1: Latresa, let's go to work. Some people are wondering, how can I deal with work stress, especially in like a volatile work environment? So, you know, sometimes we work with people or work for people that aren't the best people, but we need this job. I got bills to pay. And so I got to show up to work tomorrow. So when the stress arises, are there any steps that I can take to, to bring myself to a better place so that I can get my
3: work done? Yes. Um, this is one of my favorites. My hope is to do wellness programs for corporations. Um, I once worked for a corporation. I was there, y'all. It was bad. <laughs> I lost my hair. My hair was coming out during the pandemic. And I remember um, God telling me, like, it's okay you know, if you let this go a little earlier than planned. Right. Because I'm like, no, like I got to get through and I got to train. I got to do this. And I remember one time my husband was like, there was a, something happening. He said. He was standing over my computer. I was working from home and he said resign. And I was like, oh, I will. He was like, no, now. Like, so I typed my resignation email while he was standing behind me. So you want everybody to quit? No. Oh, I'm saying this because you have to know why you're there. This is why, and I'm not saying be super deep. If you have to work and pay your bills, work and pay your bills, take care of your family by all means. But what I mean by like, include God in the process too. Like take him to the interview too, right? Just because when you get there, they'll tell you anything to get you in the door to do the work, but you need to assess who you are talking to. Like you need to discern, read the room, Okay. Um, If you get there, which does happen sometimes and it's not right, you need to understand one, why you're there. One, you need to deal with your own stuff. Because a lot of the time, if you end up in a hub that is volatile and stressful, it's hard to survive if you mimic what's in the room. It's going to stress you out, right? So what I'm saying is like, know your stuff and knowing what you bring to the table. Another part of that is boundaries, right? Like I love these, these are my favorite words.
1: They co-signed that. I think y'all are supposed to write that that's, down. I boundaries.
3: smile when I say boundaries because most people are like, oh, that's being rude. She said, why do you do that? I said, because it keeps me safe. And I like safety. Ask my husband. Security is one of the, the best things you can offer me as a person, as a friend. You take it to work with you. And if it doesn't vibe and it goes against your morals or your values, right, don't engage in it. I mean, it's okay to be black and white. That doesn't mean you're mean, but you need to understand like one, what you bring into the table and if you're making it worse. And two, you need to have some boundaries around like what you're engaging in. Keep walking, do your job, do what you need to do. And if it's direct where the stress is like someone's directly targeting you, there are systems in place to deal with the abuse because that's what it is, right? So I say in a nutshell, like be aware of why you're there and respond appropriately.
1: All right. Alexis, I don't know if this is a youth, young adult or adult, because this question could fit any of those, but you deal with all of those. So here we go. I feel like I'm drowning. The feeling is suffocating. How can I overcome this pain from my parents?
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it's important to have a conversation. I think it's important, and I, let me speak to, can I speak to the parents for a moment. I think it's important that we create a safe space for our children to talk um, so that they do not feel like they cannot come to us. And creating that safe space means that I hear you, right? Not just um, you said this, but our rules are this. But I hear what you are feeling. I hear what your heart is saying. Um, and I think that when we do that, when we when we create that space, and also, to go back what you said earlier, we have to show them as parents, we have to show them like our vulnerability. Because if we have created this expectation where we're here and we expect it up here, then it is hard for them to approach us. And so I would say to this individual um, to be able to write it down. Usually what I tell my, my clients, my kiddos is write it down first. Get your thoughts out right? So that we don't go in and when we're having this conversation, conversation, our emotions are leading, but we want our thoughts to be able to be in that room as well. And so make sure you write it down. Um, and then after you write it down, of course, you know, pray about it, pray for God to lead you in your words, and then go to your parents and be able to say, you know, I need to have a true conversation. And, and let them know and decide for yourself, what does that look like, right? Because what we don't want to do is say, I want to go and I want to talk to my, my mom or dad, and I just want to be able to get it all out there. There's more to it than that. What is that expectation? What does the conversation look like for you when you have it with your parents? Create that scenario, create those boundaries for yourself and what you're expecting as well and write it down. So that we could, you know, so you could have that communication. So I would say start there.
1: Awesome answer. So, Khadijah, if somebody feels as though the anxiety that they're currently facing is a result of past trauma, how can they rid themselves or process or find healing from the anxiety that they're facing?
2: The first thing that I would say is what is actually, what are you afraid of? Um, what is that fear when it comes up to the past thing? Um, and how is it manifesting for you? How is it um, developing? How is it presenting? Um, so from there, writing it down, like processing it through, are you pulling the doctor Zarek said the dead things. Are you pulling the dead things into the present? It's good to brilliant into the present and then actually process through. Like if you're afraid of um, repeating an, an event or an experience or an injury, um, process, like writing that down, being honest, naming what it is that the problem is, um, that the past thing was. And then from there, um, allowing for your support system, life groups, people, community, um, to allow to hold that space. Um, It's important when when it comes up to anxiety, fears, that you allow for others to join in with you in the process of feeling what it is you're feeling, being honest about what it is that you're actually feeling and not being strong. Um, And then allowing for it to be expressed. So that looks like journaling. That looks like deep breathing. That looks like um, having going to a counselor, having talk therapy, going through and processing it um, with your support team. Um, I would say first start with what is it that you're actually bringing into the present? If you can't name it, sitting with someone who may know you and kind of sort of talking it out and saying, "Um, I'm feeling this or I'm, 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 I'm processing this or it's something's off a lot of times we'd be like something's off i don't really know what it is uh, pray for me um, and then from there like really sit with yourself and all of the things you're thinking write them down in the process of going through that process you'll come to a space where you um determine what it is that you're bringing from the past to the present and then from there you're able to say okay identifying what it is um, to name the fear it'll help to, to allow for that exposure. And then from there, allowing for different tools to be placed, whether that looks like, hey, accountability, um, friend, um, this is what I need. When you see me doing this, I need this um, to help with this process. Sometimes you don't know what it is that you're, you're um, you don't know your blind sides or your blind spots. And so having someone else, the different perspectives to be able to look at you to also Um, journey along with that process is important.
1: Good answer. Patricia, this person was wondering, how can I overcome being a high-functioning anxious person? Sometimes it feels captive yet comfortable, but I want to get out of this mindset.
3: Um, My favorite way of treating anxiety, because it works quickly, is awareness. So I guess Step one, you're already there that you're anxious. And for high-functioning anxiety, usually there's a benefit and that's why it sticks around. So people with high-functioning anxiety, they tend to get a lot done. They tend to be very successful, right? This makes it very hard to just let it go, right? Because it benefits you. So we have to understand like, how is anxiety functioning in your life? And then once we get an understanding like, oh, there's pros and cons to this. Like my anxiety helps me when I'm at work. It helps me if I'm an analyst. It helps me when I'm in sales. It helps me for whatever reason. And at the same time, it's crippling because it doesn't feel good. And the come down is hard. So I say one, awareness. Name it, right? And then usually I use a lot of um, life skills. Um, And I, I don't know, I guess... I'm trying not to use the exact words because this isn't a typical conversation. So like they're called like diffusion skills, right? It is what it says, right? The whole point of it is for you to learn how to diffuse or pivot your thoughts. This is one way to manage anxiety when you're like, I don't need that right now. I'm not at work. I don't need this high energy, like adrenaline rush going on because some people need it depending on how they operate in life but you don't need it all the time. And I think we need to understand like, I need to understand how my anxiety is functioning. And then I need to understand like, when do I need to come down? And strategies specifically, how do I come down? That is gonna be diffusion practices. Um, I use a lot of mindfulness-based skills for my clients. Um, I use a lot of orienting skills and these are gonna be like awareness of mind and body. These can bring, for example, I have clients that, you know, they go from like zero to a thousand in two seconds. They go into high panic, yeah. right? Or they go into like, oh, vivid trauma and they just shut down or they have very strong emotional responses. They are orienting skills. And these are for, I'm still there for my high functioning anxiety people because it's the same thing, different response. Um, I usually use orienting skills, grounding skills. And what it does is it helps you capture capture whatever that is, whatever is causing you to respond that way. And it regulates your nervous system. So you come down very quickly. So these are things that my clients do daily now. We do three to five skills every week. And this is the practical side. You have to practice, right? Committed action. Don't expect that you're going to go to a therapist and someone said, well, you have the fairy dust, make me better. And I was like, you could go home because I can't help you. And it's not, it's really like, It's not magic, you're gonna have to work and you're gonna have to practice, right? And so I say, name it, understand how your anxiety is functioning and then you can use strategies on how you can respond to it when you don't want it around, right? Anxiety, is some people say like, I hate my anxiety, I just wanted to go away. We're all gonna be anxious at some point, right? Unless you're that 0.5% who is disordered and they experience no fear. But most of us are going to experience it sometimes. If you don't want it around, you need to understand how it's functioning in your life and then we can attack it.
1: Awesome. Great answer. Alexis, if there's somebody in my life, a friend, family member, a spouse that I can see maybe challenged with some stress, anxiety or depression, but they don't think that those things are real. How can I lovingly help them to see the truth? of their situation.
0: Um, I think just checking in, honestly. I think it's very important that we check in. We have certain questions that we ask, right? How are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, how are you feeling? Um, because it's a, we have to be careful with um, giving someone what we think the answer is but it's important for them to get there on their own. And so doing these check-ins allows them to get there so that they can be hold themselves accountable. You know, they have to be able to come to that understanding. So the conversation may look like, you know, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, okay. I noticed that I haven't, you know, seen you around. Oh, well, I've just been busy. Well, what is that? What's been going on? You know, and just having these conversations, this dialogue is so important. Um, These continuous questions for them to end up saying something like, oh, well, maybe I haven't really been myself. Or maybe I wasn't coming to church as much as I used to. You know, but someone else noticing and someone else checking in just on a basic level. It doesn't have to be deep. It's just a matter of, I see you. And sometimes in all of this, in the anxiety where everything is dark, in the depression where everything is dark and the anxiety where everything is swirling around, someone just, their hand is up and they're reaching for help but they don't realize it and they just wanna be seen. And so asking these questions and checking in lets them know that and help them come to that understanding for themselves.
1: Awesome, now Khadijah, if I'm self-aware enough to know that I I do not trust people easily, how can I reach out for help when I struggle with trusting people?
2: You start there first. I don't trust people with one person. Um, Hey, and it can look like, hey, Pastor Tyler, I don't trust people. I don't like people. I don't want people in my business, so on and so forth. And then you give one thing you start off small. Sometimes they be, they say baby steps. I say, give them tummy time. Like we're going to start off. you newborn, we're starting off small. Um, so give them one thing. Hey, I don't trust people with offering me applesauce. You know what I mean? Something really, really small that you would be okay with them having access to. And then from their building Um, building on whatever it is that they don't trust. So I don't trust people um, with being close to me. So I want you to stand by me for five minutes and then I may walk away. So you're challenging yourself, but you're allowing someone else in with it, that one person. And then after a while, add something else to that person. Once you get fairly comfortable with that person, try and add someone else that you've been watching a lot of times people who don't trust people they know specific people who would be okay to let in it's just that that pushing and so arming them with the information first and then giving them specific things that you would be okay but still yet giving them um, information of how to challenge you or hold you accountable in that so if that looks like i don't really like hugging people give me you know pinky finger you know, um, and then build from there.
1: Incredible. Latresa, someone asked this question. How do I deal with parental burnout? They said they're a single mother, college student, and employee. And they ended it by saying, I'm tired.
3: And the Lord loves you still. Um, I would say it depends. If you have protective factors, and this is something I always push for my brown people, because we need to know what is safe. Most of us don't always know what's safe. So people you can identify that you feel like you can trust your children to. You trust their spirit. You trust how they run their home. You trust that your children are going to be safe there. Create safe havens for yourself if you can. Right. Be intentional about giving yourself space and time. Right. I need time to myself. I need time to think, right? Because kids are noisy and they attack the nervous system, especially moms. Mm-hmm. I'ma say it. Um, it's not that you're just irritable, but no, really. They they just attack it. And it can feel like you're kind of drowning and you're there. But you're like, oh my God, like somebody somebody stop. Like a, a volume, like turn the volume down so I can think. And so if you have those safe havens, those protective factors that you're like, I can trust these people, send your children away for a few hours or a day or a weekend. Schedule time away on your calendar and go get therapy. You know why? Because usually if you're feeling overworked, if you're feeling like things are out of order and you're an adult and you have control over these things, it's probably ingrained. It is probably like something that has come before you and the parenting model is inaccurate or it doesn't work for your children. It's not like it's wrong. It just don't work for your kids, right? And there's a conflict, right? Think about jobs that may um, bring you more peace or give you that extra space to have with your children. So we have to think about as parents, how does my life, everything that I do is gonna impact your product, your product is how you present yourself to the world, your children. How is this gonna impact me? And so I want you to start to think about like, as a parent, like what do I have control over? I have control over where I work sometimes. I have control over how I spend my time. I have control over my schedule. These are things you can intentionally like put into play. I'm gonna, for, and I'll give an example. My schedule's all over the place. I work morning, afternoon, and night, six days a week. I schedule time and I block off time on my schedule. I am like, I'm just gonna play with my kid. And sometimes my kids like, no, I don't wanna do that. I wanna go outside. I wanna jump on a trampoline. I'm like, well, this is the time I have. I'm just saying it sounds very harsh, but you give what you can, right? And so I'm like, no, we're gonna sit here. We're gonna play, we're gonna play some games. I'm gonna hug on you, we're gonna give each other some attention because it's intentional and after a while they're like yep it's mommy time right so they're not asking for it or they're not acting out because they don't have it so if you're tired get rest and if you can't get rest without your children get rest with them right i did a parenting group and one of which we talked about ways to get rest when you don't have a sitter when you don't have parents, when you don't have family close by to like, hey, take my kids so we can go away or whatever. I say, hey, if you're anti screens, fine, but you know what parent, it's okay to give your child an iPad with safe safety parameters on them for 30, 45 minutes while you take that nap. Give yourself a nap, right? Put them on the floor in your bedroom and close the door. If that's what you need to do, but you need to give your nervous system a break, right? And we have to be okay with saying like, I'm tired and I don't wanna engage with my children. That's not me. That just means I need to take care of myself. I'm do- I do it real quick. Can I have some space? I'm overwhelmed. You're really loud, right? And then I'm like, hey, mom's gonna walk away and take care of herself. It's called a vacation. It's a real skill and it saves lives. I'm serious. It keeps you from injuring your, your fruit, it keeps you from injuring your people, right? And so go take a vacation. I'm like, give me a few minutes. I'll be right back and I'll love on you. But right now I just need a few minutes and I go ground. Sometimes I lie on the floor and I stretch and I take deep breaths. So I'm like, okay, God, give me some strategy. I don't know what to do for the next three hours because I had no plan for today. And he gives it to me and I'm like, okay, I'm back and we ready to roll. But I took care of myself first. And then my kids were okay and I didn't injure them. So I think that's the goal. Give yourself rest and space and find some strategies that you can use so that everybody's okay. And not just, oh, the kid's fine, but I'm dying. That's not the way God created it to be.
1: This will be our last one, Alexis. How do we manage depressed kids, teens specifically who tend to not listen to their parents? What strategies can parents adopt? to help kids outside of professional help? If I notice that my kids may be struggling with this.
0: Yeah, so um, going back to what she said earlier, uh, doing the opposite, right? So if we know our kids are not doing something that they would typically love to do, engage with them. So not sending them to another club, or sending them to, I know we're talking about teens, but like if it was a younger child, sending them to the park to play, but engage with them, right? They need in that moment, whether they want it or not, they need that connection. And so it is important for us to make sure we stay connected with them. Even if you're in the room just sitting with them, they need that connection. Get them up, moving around, have them come run an errand with you, right? In that moment, what's gonna happen is, is there's gonna be more opportunities for conversation to happen. We're not pressing them to have that conversation, but we're creating an environment and they're becoming a part of their environment, which they feel like they can talk and have that communication and have that connection with you. Um, and then again, continue to find out what their interests are, right? Reminding them that they are loved, reminding them they are okay, giving those affirmations to them. They may not want it when they get a little bit older. Oh, mom, dad, come on now. Yeah, you love me. I'm gonna say it and I'm gonna keep saying it, right? You don't wanna hope I'm coming to give you a hug. I am loving on you whether you love it or not, because in this moment where you want to reject me, thank you, Jesus, Like, right? He does that for us. In the moment where we feel like we need to step back, Right? God doesn't like us, God may not feel this way and then we become this way. He's like, I am here. And so the same for our babies. Like, I am here for you. I love you. And it doesn't mean that we are forcing a conversation. But what ends up happening is that, again, they become comfortable because now we are becoming a part of their environment and not forcing them to be a part of ours. And we are guiding them, gently guiding them and saying, let's do this. We're going to go out here and do this. We're going to do that. right?" But still something that they love and are interested in.
1: Okay. Really quickly, uh, one by one, if somebody wants to hire you and do some therapy with you, how can they do that?
2: I am at Growing Boundlessly um, um, Private Practice. So, my first name K H A, D is in David, I J as in Jack, A is in Apple, H is in Hat, at growingboundlessly.com. My email address.
0: I am at Green Path Clinic. My email is alexis, A L E X I S underscore D underscore Nelson at yahoo.com. Um,
3: I am at Ascend Therapy in Naperville. Um, I don't have a direct email there. Um, just go on the website and call. Um, and my administrator schedules with me. Um, And soon enough, I will have a separate one, hint, hint. Um, But it will not be there. So yes, Ascend Therapy in Naperville. It's on 500 East Ogden. And I do both virtual and in-person. And phone, by the way.
1: Can we put our hands together for our clinicians? Can we stand? Can we stand? Let's show them some love. Show them some love.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.